What is up, my friend? Welcome to episode number 102. It's kind of weird. 102 of the Anthony Trainings podcast. Today, I'm bringing you on a parenting coach to talk about advice for parents with addicts. And in this episode, we're going to cover a whole lot of ground. I mean, this episode is packed full of a lot of very deep spiritual wisdom that will not only help you in parenting an addict, but parenting in general, and also help you learn how to give pretty much any human on the planet the gift of their own experience, not from this place of avoidance, but really from a place of just pure on power and unconditional love. So if you're open to looking at an incredible way to parent children and create deep connection with people that you lead in general, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Anthony John Amex podcast, helping entrepreneurs break through to new levels of peace, power, and profit. Prepare to open your mind to the proven tactics and strategies the world's leading intellects have used to avoid a stagnant career and achieve a life of freedom, purpose, and success. It's time to increase your levels of power with your host, Anthony John Amex. All right, welcome back. Now, before I bring on today's guest onto the show, I want to let you know about a free training that I put together with my good friend, Jonathan Heston. You know how like many entrepreneurs, they just kind of feel like they're carrying uh, an inescapable inner pressure. Well, this training teaches you three steps to escape that internal pressure, step into your higher potential, and really build a business of just full-on freedom. Now, you can access that entire training for free by going to trainingwithaj.com. The cool thing is you don't even have to register for it. Like Simply just go to trainingwithaj.com and you get instant access this immediately by going there. So hope you enjoy that training. Now, with that being said, let's talk about today's guest. Her name is Kim Min. She's the founder of Real Life Parenting Guide, and she is very passionate about helping moms who are in the midst of parenting kids who are like high school age and older. And she believes mothers are the emotional barometers in the family. And she has just like this very down-to-earth approach to balancing a child's need with the mother's desires and keeping what our culture tells us about how family life should look like, like in check. So with that being said, let's bring Kim onto the show. Kim, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, AJ. It's great to be here. So tell me, like uh, you do parenting coaching and things of that nature, um, and we'll talk about some of that. Well, let's go ahead and dive into that. How'd you get started into the game of parenting? <laughs> Oh, well, that is quite the story. I will uh, let you know that was my personal parenting experience that, of course, led me to parent coaching, which is probably not a surprise. I have um, five kids between the ages of 15 and 33 at this point, and I was a very young mom. I um, had my oldest when I was 18 years old, and awesome. um, that was quite a journey in and of itself, obviously, and a real growing experience. But what got me into parent coaching is that same child fell into an addiction to alcohol, um, alcohol and drugs, but more alcohol when he was about 20 years old. And it was that two to three year journey of his real struggles and ups and downs that brought me to a place of wanting to look at the way I was parenting, look at the way I had been parented. Um, want to do better for myself and all of my children and really began to educate. I went back to school and got a degree in psychology and started writing. And one thing led to another. And one day that through the magic of Facebook, a parent coaching program came through my newsfeed and I invested, began investigating that and ultimately 
took that certification and have literally been doing it for four years, niching myself to, at this point, moms of middle school to young adults. So I'm adolescent, um, the adolescent period of time. So awesome. Yeah, that's it's the exciting. high view. <laughs> that's crazy that it came from just a, um, a Facebook ad. And then people are like, oh, Facebook advertising doesn't work. And then here you are four years later because yes. of the Facebook ad. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> That's amazing. What are some of like the big mistakes that you see parents making when it comes to just, I don't know, raising children? Well, two come top of mind. One is that they're allowing the noise of everyone else uh, in terms of our culture, our, our society, neighbors, and what they're doing with their kids. All of this noise is coming into parents and they are not tuning into their own inner wisdom when it comes to their unique children that have come to or through them, if that makes sense. That um, makes sense to me. Okay. Let, let's talk about that a little bit, like okay. children coming to and through people. Uh, what do you mean by that? I, I believe that a soul chooses a parent, it chooses the mother, it chooses the father. And um, yeah, and it chooses both for like, the growth of the child and its journey, and also the growth of the mother or the father or the guardian, whomever they chose, like they, they chose the journey knowing they're coming into the journey. Now, at the same time, that doesn't make, um, you know, I, I'll say this because somebody could come, a child could be in a terrible environment, right? And we're like, oh, it chose, somebody could take it and say, well, the, the, the soul chose it. So it, it is, it is what it is, right? Let, uh, let love, let others voluntarily evolve. And essentially the pendulum swinging too far on the other side without taking responsibility. So all we're saying is just like souls choosing souls. And there can be some beauty in that and when we can dance with that. And we still take responsibility to be responsible and love on people at the same time, right? Exactly. I think you're going to love this. A couple of years ago, this um, sentence was, or this, this idea was downloaded to me and it, it speaks to exactly what you're saying. And that is this, our children come through us, not for us except for the lessons that they reflect to us during their journey in an effort to grow us up along the way. So our children are our greatest teachers and um, absolutely believe in what you're saying in terms of, you know, my kids, I have a tattoo on my left hip, as a matter of fact. And when I got that tattoo with my oldest son, I wanted it to be something meaningful. And I put it on my left hip specifically because that's where I carried my children when, before they could walk. Mm. And the tattoo says, faith, calm, courage, patience, and grace. Those are words I specifically chose for what each one of my children had at the time taught me about life. And I have footprints going through all of the words to signify the journey aspect of the message of motherhood in my life. Mm. Do you think there's a paradox in that? Meaning, because you talked about kids come uh, through us, not for us. Is there a paradox and maybe it's both, they come through us? And also they come for us. If, if they like remember who they are as souls, like they help us remember and vice versa. If we remember who we are as souls, we're helping them remember who they are. And yeah. it really is kind of this cosmic dance of it, it, it is almost for us. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I do believe that. I do believe that. That's beautiful. <laughs> awesome. Because I could see some people being, again, uh, I'm just like playing the other side of the coin. And if we fully just adopt, well, children come through us, uh, some could take that and grab meaning a hold of it. And whatever happens in life happens in life. And it's like, well, they came through us to have this experience. They're on their own journey. I'm done. 
and, and that hasn't been my experience. My experience of my own growth and journey, the more and more I remember who I am and the more and more I step into my sovereignty and the more and more I'm not withholding my truth from my mother or my father or my siblings or those closest to me, and I'm willing to lead into some of those uncomfortable conversations, I'm not doing so from a place of like dominating them or making their way right or their way wrong. It's just me fully contributing my truth. And in that, it's bringing them contrast if they choose it to start waking up to how much power they have as sovereign creators as well. Absolutely. I totally, totally agree with that. And one of the things you asked what originally, what some of the things I, some of the main things I think parents are challenged with, and this kind of goes to that. One of the things that we take as parents to personally is our children's outcomes. And by that, I, mm. I don't mean we don't have responsibility for them. However, we have to be very careful about the expectations that we inadvertently and often unconsciously put onto our children. Um, and our job as parents is to allow them safely, as safely as possible. We're not gonna be able to stop all challenges that happen in their lives, but to guide them rather than parent over them, to um, allow them to become who they're meant to be, whoever that is, not who we need them to be. And I can, I can give you very clear examples from my, from my own parenting. Um, the first of which, of course, is my eldest son and his addiction to alcohol. I would not have chosen that for his journey, but it was very clear to me in the midst of that how a little control I had over it and B that I did not know what he needed to go through in this life, what his lessons were that he's, that I believe he chose to come into. Mm. All I could do was do my best to, to stand in front of his own demise at times without doing for him what he needed to do for himself. And he celebrated 10 years of sobriety in May. And so, um, you know, I think in part my parenting him through that darkest time, the way that I did it was helpful, but obviously every moment of every day that he chooses, you know, to be sober is, is up, is his journey. Mm. How, how do you mind sharing how you did that? Because I think it would serve a lot of people uh, because I think so many people tried to, to, to run down these types of things uh, from a, a hero energy, right? Which is just going to ensue more family drama. So how did you lead as a mother, but not really step into hero where you're essentially creating a victim villain dynamic? I think that it had a lot to do with the fact that for some reason, and I don't know what it is, two things took place during this time period. First, I was not ashamed. I knew, I, I looked back on my parenting to understand where I had contributed because I think I needed to take ownership of that. However, I never went into shame about the fact that he was walking this journey to addiction. Um, and the second thing, I think another really important thing that people who have children in addiction don't necessarily think about is how important it is to take care of themselves and to grow themselves during that time period. And when I, it really was about me 
of course, it was taking the next right step, calling, you know, to get him into detox or to get him into inpatient or out, you know, all of the things that needed to be done. But in the process of that, I also really began to examine myself and grow myself and tune into my own intuition with him in terms of how much to lean in and fix and how much I just had to allow him to, and it's a very, it's like being on a tightrope. So I, I don't want to minimize or, um, I don't know of an exact thing. It's, it's really a gut. Thing. I totally, yeah, I totally get what you're saying. Um, I talk about the four phases of life. I learned from a guy named Christopher John Stubbs, which is like life happens as me, like we're born into the world. We're like pure consciousness. So we, we just are. Our brain develops, we move into the, the second phase of life, life happens to me. Most people don't ever graduate from phase two, right? It's the government, it's the religion, it's the wife, it's the husband, it's whatever, it's somebody out there, it's their fault. Some people, uh, thankfully, wake up and they move into the third phase of life, life happens by me, where we take radical responsibility for the totality of our life and the imprint we're leaving. And then there's a fourth phase few people talk about, which is life happens through me. And so what I think you're, you're talking about here is really, standing in the pocket where you're allowing yourself to, again, take radical responsibility for what is yours to be taken care of and also surrender to the truth of, I don't know what to do here, but I'm open for some answers. And yes. you're opening yourself up to something way bigger than you to start giving you your next step. And you're just kind of in the pocket moving between phase three and phase four this kind of surrendering to the divine or God or your universe, whatever word people want to use. And that's kind of that dance that really is a push and a pull and an ebb and a flow when we give ourselves permission there. And life does play out beautifully, typically when we allow ourselves to play in that pocket. That's beautiful. I'd not heard of the, that three and four before. And I, and I mean, I've heard that life is happening for you, not sure. to you, sure. but I'd not heard, you know, through you. And that makes a lot of sense. And that's really very cool. Awesome. Awesome. Well, how did, was uh, your child like the catalyst for your spiritual journey or had you been doing work before then? I think so, to be honest with you, when I look back on it. So we're talking, he's 33. So 13 years ago, I grew up in a traditional Catholic um, organized religion, you know, upbringing, parents were married, you know, that kind of middle class kind of thing. Um, did the church thing. My parents weren't overly religious out of church, but I went to Catholic school. Um, but about the time I got pregnant at 18, um, my dad actually told me I wasn't allowed to come home with my baby. He really wanted me to mm. give it up for adoption. So I moved out of my parents' home and, and navigated the welfare system as an 18-year-old. And, um, you know, really, I, I, I wasn't angry at God, but I just like, I felt like, hey, I got myself into this, I need to get myself out of it. All the while, my mom is saying, please pray, please, you know, go to confession, please, you know, do all the things that need to be done. And so my husband and I, um, so I did not marry my my son's father, we had a, a relationship for a couple of years, and it ended up being very abusive. So Consequently, um, my husband and I have been married 28 years and we did get married in the Catholic church more out of tradition than, and had our kids baptized again, more out of tradition than anything else. But I think that going through the journey with Nick, my oldest son, um, really did give me 
you know, really made me become much more introspective. And also it really made me begin to question what I wanted to put into my body in terms of media, in terms of the people that I was socializing with. I mean, I just, and it didn't happen overnight. Like I didn't wake up one morning and be like, okay, that's not good for me. Okay. That, but it just, I just became more and more aware and intentional with what I surrounded myself with and what I ingested in terms of reading and, and that kind of thing. I would say my spiritual epiphany, I would say, came, I was at a Dr. Shafali, do you know who Dr. Shafali Sabari is? I do not know. She's a New York Times bestselling um, author and psychologist. And she had a parenting or an, an, um, a, a conference out in California in December of 2015. and. A, a gentleman by the name of Neil Donald Walsh spoke at that. And Neil Donald Walsh is the author of Conversations with God, which is a huge you know, series of books and he's been around a long time. But hearing him speak about things that were almost the opposite of what I grew up with in terms of Catholic faith and God and sin and all the things, um, what he said just really resonated with me. I left that conference, read every book he wrote, um, and have been on the journey, I guess, full, full force since then, and still continue to evolve my beliefs. Awesome. How has that journey impacted your ability? Like you, you cultivated certainty within that journey. How has that impacted you to cultivate certainty in one of the most uncertain times in the past 100 years right now? Ooh, I, I go back to, you know, I really do go back to, and what I really help parents do is tune into themselves. I do a lot of meditation. I mean, I have a daily meditation practice. I also walk six miles a day. Um, and that helps keep me, you know, in nature and grounded, even, even when it was blistering hot in Texas this summer, or when it's freezing cold this winter, I'm going to be out walking. I just, it's, it's part of my mental health. Awesome. Um, and again, I, I, I read a lot of books that nourish my soul and, and intentionally listen to podcasts that, that will do the same. Nice. So what have you found are some of like tips, tricks, um, techniques uh, to be able to parent a child and be able to kind of co-create with them and, and lead them and you being able to stay in your sovereignty and you guiding them to stay in their sovereignty without all the drama entanglements? That is a really good question. Trips, tips and tricks on that. Um, I'm going to think about my second son and a little bit about his life. He's actually in the process of becoming a Catholic priest. And so I just told you, right, that, that my spiritual epiphany came and I learned, I literally have, as he's walked into organized religion and this faith life, uh, I've walked away from it very much. So it's been a beautiful thing. I think, I think one of the, the greatest things that parents can teach their children is to appreciate all the differences in people's lives and where they come from. Appreciate, you know, we all have an opinion and usually our opinions are based on either what we've heard in the culture or a combination of that and what we've experienced in our lives. One of the most beautiful things I think that I've taught my kids, and I'm not sure exactly how I've done this, but to to embrace everyone and everything on whatever path 
I mean, here I have, you know, this oldest son who has gone through addiction. He lives in Austin. He's fully pierced and tattooed. You know, he's, he lives this life. And then my second son is, you know, studying to be a Catholic priest, completely opposite animals, but they, they really enjoy each other. They really, when we're all together, everyone is so diverse and yet they appreciate. No, I think because nobody pushes too hard their own agenda to get someone to, you know, so if you can, if you can, and I think we model that as parents, I think we model tolerance and open-mindedness and being curious instead of furious, as I've heard many psychologists say, don't get furious, get curious. Um, I'll say the same thing, you know, allowing children and, and your spouse or whoever, you know, the people that you love in your life to have their thoughts, opinions, and beliefs and, and sharing them without feeling like you have to adopt them, awesome. you know, just, just because your kid tells you something, you know, doesn't mean you have to agree with it. It's, but get curious about it. So, so in order for somebody to be curious rather than furious using this, this lingo yes. thing, <laughs> do you think, uh, and from your experience, is it like a person willing to lean into their shadows and like, really dive into their shadows? Is that what gives them the capacity to stand in curiosity rather than, you know, the furious stuff? Yeah, potentially people who are, and I, I, I go, I'm going to go back to taking a, a self-care. I don't like the, that's over word. Oh, a self-exploratory journey. People who are open to exploring themselves generally, I believe, are more open to hearing the thoughts and beliefs of others, even if they don't align with their own. So someone who is becoming aware and working on their own intuition and their own inner journey and wisdom is going to have the ability to be curious as opposed to furious. And it, and it doesn't have to, again, be like a switch that just turns on that, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's little bits over time. Some people do, don't ever get there, AJ. Like they don't ever go past that life's happening to me or I'm the victim, you know, kind of thing. They can live their whole lives like that. And, you know, that, that is what it is. You know, we can't wake everybody, everybody up, but those who are willing to look within generally become more curious. Yeah, I totally agree. Totally agree. And how has, what are some of the, if you want to share, what are some of the shadows that you've had to dive into uh, to be able to stay in a place of curiosity? Like I can tell you mine, I have dove into the pit of sadness. I've dove into the pit of apathy. I've dove into the pit of wanting to kill myself. I've dove into the pit of anger. Like I've dove into pretty much some of the darkness pits of myself that I can find. And anytime I can find them, I become aware of them. And, and I truly believe that our unconscious doesn't allow the shadow to come through until we, it like knows, hey, you have the capacity for this. <laughs> Science has shown some of that. And yeah. so now I'm at a place where if I can become aware of like a pit of darkness, I'm like, let's go straight into that to the full bottom of it. Because I know in the bottom of it, when I'm with it, not to fix it, just to be with it, then my capacity expands to be able to be with another human in their own darkness and I can be that light for them to help them remember who they are. And so what are some of the things that you've experienced? If, if you want to share, you can also say, I don't want to share that. That you helped know, you be a better mother. I think um, a lot of work around finding my voice. 
and feeling as if I'm worthy, feeling as if I'm enough. Um, I also have found myself to do a lot of emotional work for other people that isn't my business to be doing. So learning how to release that. Um, yeah, I think probably one of the biggest things that I've done is really understanding that I'm worthy of being heard. I think this, this comes from my childhood. Um, I had very, I, I would say I had a very normal, if you can say normal, um, childhood, but I do feel like I've done a really, I've really worked hard to help each of my children feel more heard than I felt as a child and working on my, even to this day, feeling like I'm worthy of sharing my thoughts and feelings. And that if someone else doesn't care for them, that that's on them and, and it's not on a reflection on me. So that's, that's, that's probably the, so one of good. the biggest things. Thanks for sharing. <laughs> I totally can see uh, the worthiness thing. Like you talked about how, when you were with your son, his addiction journey, how you, you chose not to make it a reflection of you, because I think so many people would, would create, and then the ego is going to do it right. Well, I should be a better mother. If I was a great mother, then this wouldn't be happening. And if I wasn't this and this, so it's really true. I'm, I am not good enough. And it, and that gets amplified until we're willing to be with that and see it and process all of the things that we're feeling in our bodies. And then once we're with it and you were, you know, you remember who you are, you're like, well, this is just his journey. I'm here going to support him through it. I'm going to ask some tough questions. I'm going to listen. And through that, not only did you help him and you've modeled to him what it is to, to be at a place of, I have nothing to prove. I have nothing to defend. Like I'm worthy as a mother just because I'm here with you. Like that brought healing to you and him. And you did a, a great job modeling to him what that is like. I think it was difficult to come to that place. However, and I see how parents very much can get marred in the shame and the either what was me or here's where I messed up or I'm the worst parent, but that is not productive. And I just want to, I just want to say that to any parent who might be listening in terms of if your child is immersed in addiction, look back and acknowledge maybe where you contributed. I, in my case, it, my son was going between two very different households the entire time he grew up. And quite frankly, as, as good a relationship as I felt we had, and he would agree with that, I don't think he felt accepted in our home and, or in his father's home. Um, so, I, and I think that was a great contributor to it. But for me to spend time, you know, significant time going, I should have done this differently. I should have done that differently does not help. It is not productive. It does not serve you or your child. So I, I would say that to any parent who is in that situation, hmm. acknowledge and then acknowledge and say to your, cause I've had this conversation with Nick and then move, move ahead in a different, you know, more enlightened direction. When a child's demonstrating a behavior that maybe goes against our values as parents, um, is it, do you think potentially it's just because there's a need that they have that's not getting met, like a need of acceptance, a need of not being seen, a, a, just a basic, a basic need. Like if we look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and if we have the willingness to open up that dialogue, uh, again, not to fix, but to seek to understand of asking some of these questions like, hey, are, are you... Are you not feeling enough connection? Are you not feeling accepted? Do you think we can curtail some of those addictive behaviors uh, before they get started? 
I do. I, you know, when I look back and I don't think I would have been able to, I, I don't know how much of Nick's course I would have been able to change. Yeah. I thought we did have a good relationship. We did have open, you know, we, he was super open with me about girls and friends and all that stuff during high school, but he also was drinking at night to quell uh, his major anxiety and depression and to put himself to sleep at night. So he was only, you know, even when we have a really great relationship with our children and we think we know them well, there was definitely things that I missed. However, if I, if, if I, I don't, I don't want to say like, if I could do it again, cause I, it is what it is, but I would, I would say to parents taking the time to make more time for your kids. And I know a lot of teenagers, like, like they, you know, parents will be like, okay, my kid does not want to talk to me. You don't get it. You still sometimes just need to be present. I have my youngest two are 15 and 17 girl and boy, they're very independent and they, they do, they're doing their schooling for pretty much they're the, you know, on their own and I don't get involved in it, but just having someone in the house who is present who makes time for them. At the end of the night, we all meet in my daughter's, the three of us meet in my daughter's bedroom and we have um, about 20 minutes of time where we just talk. And in the dim light of her salt lamp, he, my son who is super quiet will unpack so much of his day and be willing. I mean, this is a kid who won't talk at dinner time, won't talk in certain circumstances, but you know, but you have to, as a parent, pull yourself out of your own you know, busy, busy life and worries and be present for your children. So they have the opportunity to connect with you. If you, you know, you have to really look at yourself at your, at your day. And, you know, are you, you might be in the room with them, but you're looking at your phone and they, and, or you might be really stressed out. They, our children pick up so much on our energy more than we even imagine. Even if we don't fight directly in front of them with our spouse, like they know they can feel that. So for us to continually be working on our own emotional well-being so that we can be present and attuned to our children is one of the most important things that we can do. Awesome. Do you mind defining what you mean by present? Uh, I'm just curious. So like I said, you can be in a room, but not really in a room. Have you ever been in a, in a space where there's a ton of people, but you actually felt lonely? Oh, yes, of course. Okay. So what, what I mean by present is that you're not distracted by your phone or by cooking dinner. I mean, you know, by all the other things that are going on that your child, when you look into their eyes and say, how was, how was your school day today? That they see you looking in their eyes and they know that you are fully paying attention to them in that moment. Awesome. So what I'm hearing you saying is being like emotionally present. Not yes. just like your body present, but like your, your heart's in the room, your soul's in the room, like mm -hmm. you're fully, mm -hmm. you're fully there. And, and I think this is a really good distinction uh, for people to, to understand, especially in today's world, because our brains are just like, and there's so many media inputs and we're, yeah, we're just producing like crazy. But I felt that way. Like my mom and dad were always with me, but they weren't with me. I, I didn't feel like they were with me, right? And if I even brought this conversation to them, they would sit here and justify, well, I went to every soccer game and I went to every school function and da, 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 right? <laughs> but, and that's true, they were, and that was great. And their parents didn't even do that for, for my dad. So like for him, he made a decision, well, I don't wanna be like my dad, so I'm gonna do the complete opposite. But even in doing the complete opposite, my story is, he didn't really honor his desire 
where maybe his desire potentially wasn't being at every soccer game, right? Maybe his desire potentially was doing other things. And if, if that was true, because I, I wasn't one of those teenagers that didn't want to be with my parents. Like I, I really did. I enjoyed being with them. Even to this day, I enjoy like being with them. I've always been that way. And so if they were able to show up fully emotionally, fully emotionally present, and then contribute the totality of their truth of like, hey, uh, I have this, this fear in me that I'm going to be a, a terrible parent if I don't go to your game. And I have this other part of me that wants to go do this other thing. I'm really conflicted. What will you be okay if I don't go? And if I, and even if I said, no, I really want you there. If it was still not a win for them to be there for them to be like, I hear you. I see you. I love you. And I still must go honor this thing that's within me. Like that would have been a huge gift for me to, to learn how to honor my desires. And I would have felt seen and heard because the emotional presence was was there. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. It makes total sense to me. (laughs) And I believe that you will make conscious decisions. I believe that you're a dad, right? Mm -hmm. You you, you have a little girl? Yep. Okay. She's two. Um, She turns two on Saturday. Oh, that's so fun. What a fun age. Um, But I believe that because you are aware of this and your father and the generational, you know, that's what I talk about a lot with the, the moms that I coach is the generational patterns that if yep. we don't become more aware and literally look within and make conscious decisions to do otherwise, we will defer to what we grew up in. And so I love, and this is, it's going to be such a blessing for your daughter as she, you know, as she grows up. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, we talk about a lot of this in, in one of our programs called Project Shift, but part of the beingness of being human is we adopt the filters in which we're raised in. Like we automatically are put into an environment with parents or parental figures uh, that have certain beliefs about life. And if those things aren't examined, like Socrates talks about the unexamined life isn't worth living. And, and actually, I totally agree with him. If we don't examine those things, we inherently just adopt those filters. It is that way of being is just simply absorbed and adopted. It just is. And, and part of that is the beingness of being human. There's no way around it. It's going to happen. So part of this game of moving into phase three of life and definitely into the, the fourth phase of life to allow God to flow through us or life to flow through us is the questioning of those filters. And we're where the conscious one doing the filter because we're going to filter. Our beingness is going to filter. So the real question is, is are we doing the filter or is the filter doing us? And unfortunately for a lot of people, the filter's doing them. They're not consciously doing the filter. Does that yes. make sense? Yes. Uh-huh. Yes, <laughs> it does. It does. And I don't know, you know, like I said, I've kind of come to a realization as I've been working with parents. At first I worked with like any parent that would show up. Right. But now I've become much more, I don't want to say choosy because that, that sounds arrogant and that's not what I mean. Um, I have a much better sense of who is ready to do the work then initially, I, although I'm a parent coach, I think people think parent coach, like, oh, this, this lady is going to tell me in three easy steps, the strategy of to get my kid to listen. And that really isn't what I do at all. So that's why I, I went with real life parent guide, because I feel like guide, first of all, I think we we're meant to be more of a guide with our children than, you know, than this control parent thing where, where I really, my whole mission is to help bring out the voice of parenting with rather than over our children. 
Yeah. The the way I always explained it, because we just worked with the parenting coach and it was like, there's two different paradigms. You have like the dominating uh, parent, dominant parent, right. Versus Mm -hmm. I forgot what the other word was co-creative or whatever the other paradigm, peaceful. Peaceful. I think that that was the other one, the peaceful parenting paradigm. Again, neither one are right or wrong. I'm not here to say this one's the right way or this is the wrong way or vice versa. They're just two different paradigms and we get to choose which paradigm that we want to play in. Right. And I think the relationship that you have with your children as they're growing up and or your adult children will dictate the, you know, what, what you've decided and adopted either unconsciously or consciously is going to play out in the quality of the connection you have with each other. Totally agree. I I mean, I think that you hit the nail on the head. If one of your values is connection, the, the, the dominating paradigm, uh, it'll, it's not going to produce connection. Let's just be honest. It's not going to produce connection. Right. It's been proven. Like it's not going to produce connection. Again, I'm not saying compliance It make it short-term compliance. It may even get longer term compliance, but, but, you know, the, at some point that child as an adult, or even as a teenager will wake up and not appreciate not being seen, heard, acknowledged for who they are. And that will, that will definitely cause some rifts with, with the parent child relationship in some way. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that doesn't, in my opinion, does apply to uh, a parent child relationship. Like even if we run into the game of business and we're operating and leading a team from a dominating paradigm versus a peaceful paradigm, you'll have compliance, but you may chain, chain, uh, churn and burn some employees yeah. rather than if you learn how to really communicate and adopt and kind of live in a peaceful paradigm. Uh, and again, it's not like um, you're not being submissive. So when I say peaceful, I'm not saying you're being submissive and you're getting run over. That's, that's not what I'm saying but there's a way to lead and you value connection and the, the way that you build the organization and the team, there's connection rather than just compliance and people still do what you want to do, but they actually love doing what you want to do. <laughs> right. And that also can play out in marriage yes, and relationships can. too. So in any really relationship, um, when we breed fear and control or, you know, fear and control leads to disconnection. And of course, you know, the opposite leads to connection. So when we lead with love and, and um, we, we work with someone rather than needing to control over them, that's where we develop the connection. And I will say this, I think one of, people wanna know like what's, what's the, the way to make sure that your kid doesn't get involved in drugs and you know sexting and all the things, the social media, all the pitfalls that our kids can get into. And I say, there, first of all, there are no guarantees, right? But the quality of the relationship we have with our adolescents is the best asset that we have against things like sexting or drug use or, you know, um, academic, you know, kids that don't want to go to school and, and that kind of a thing. So, but if we take the hard approach, if we take the dominant parenting approach, I know in my own growing up years that my parents, I was the oldest and only girl and I was grounded more often than I was not in high school and it wasn't helpful to me. It didn't help serve me. There were other things going on that my parents could have if, if they had known or wanted to. I think they they just parented the way their parents had parented them. So it just, you know, they like didn't know what else to do but besides put the hammer down. And all it did was make me sneakier 
Totally. And that's the last thing we want our teenagers to, to do. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to make choices that we wish that they wouldn't have made, but allowing the natural consequences to those and being open about it and using, using those things. Like if a, if a girl, your daughter, you know, sex, a picture, you know, is, is sending an inappropriate picture coming down in punishment, it's going to do nothing but put her in shame, you know, um, it's the parent that can use that example as a teaching and a building up tool for this girl, you know, this girl to say, you are worth so much more than that, you know, um, and, and work towards that as opposed to a punishment and taking totally. the phone away is, is going to be, is going to give a totally different outcome. Totally. And, and if I put myself in those shoes, you know, I, I would even get, I'd really get curious and, and be like, I know there's a need not being met. Like, are you just not yeah. feeling like connection? Are you wanting to experience connection? Mm-hmm. And if she was like, yes, well, how could we create connection and, and, and try to find a way to still get that need met rather than being like, you can't experience connection. It's evil to experience connection. Yeah. Like you're a human, you want to experience connection. So how can we safely create a win-win way for you to experience connection in the way that you would like to experience connection? rather than, again, filters of religion or rights or wrongs or cultural norms or whatever. Like we, I get to sit in the pocket. And this is why I think it's very important for us as parents, for us as human beings to run into our shadows because to the degree that I'm comfortable with the totality of my sexuality is the degree in which I can hold space and stay curious to be in the pocket with my daughter to help her navigate how she wants to get her needs met, mm-hmm. right? But Mm -hmm. if I'm not comfortable with that shadow because I'm like, oh, no, I can't do that because if I dive to the pit of sexuality, then what if I become a pedophile? What if I become a rapist? What if I become this terrible monster? Because that's what people are afraid of when they start thinking about their shadows, Mm -hmm. right? None of that's real when you can just dive to the pit of your shadow and just be with it, right? Because mm-hmm. you're, you're going to be the light in it. That's been my experience, my own experience, my experience of guiding clients through their own experience. And on the other side of that, you have the capacity to, to lead, to hold space, mm-hmm. to seek to understand. Mm-hmm. And I think so oftentimes, uh, parents, people in general, since they don't do that work, then they're resisting. They're resisting the sexuality. They're resisting the anger. They're resisting all of these facets of humanity, which then doesn't really give them the capacity to actually fully lead in those moments. Yeah. I'm curious, AJ, do you think that um, children are coming into the world more sensitive and more open-minded? And um, I'm just, I look at my own kids and I just look at the rise, the increase in anxiety, depression, suicide of our kids in in general these days. And I feel like their behavior is in some way really screaming at us, the older generations, myself and and, and parents younger than I, to shift and and evolve that way of parenting from over to one of with. I mean, I, I, I feel like kids are, like children are coming into the world more sensitive and open-minded. My, my kids, when I think about um, myself in high school, uh, granted I was in an all-girls Catholic high school, um, the thought of someone being transgender or you know something like 
my kids now are just like, yeah, you know, this kid that I used to play with that was a girl now, you know, in high school, like, you know, has, has adopted and, 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 and now calls, you know, she calls herself this and, and, sure. and, and it's just, it's, it's not mine, but it's just so interesting to me because they're just like open to it. Yeah. You know, I, here's my belief and this is just my belief. Uh, Cause you asked it. I believe we're at a place in time in humanity where humanity is forcing us to look at our shadow and, and whether we're, it's birthing it through children, who's being open to different things. But at the end of the day, there's this, this contrast, this collision of everything that we've believed up until this point of what is right, what is wrong, what shouldn't be, what should be. And all of this is clashing together to be like, well, here, everything is. So at the end of the day, let's, let's objectively look at all of it and let's find out what do you genuinely want to create as a human being? Not what you believe you should or you shouldn't or what's the right thing or the wrong thing. What is it that you as a human being, what is it that your soul came to this earth to experience and create? Mm-hmm. let's look at that. Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. only way that we as humans that I found up to this point, that may change as I continue to evolve and grow. But the only thing that I found up to this point to get back to sovereignty is to just be in the pocket where we're going through phase three, phase four of life. And we're co-creating with that. And in that there really is no like right or wrong. I mean, do we hurt another human? We could all probably agree. That's a wrong thing to do right? So, but outside of that, if you want to change your sex, is that a right thing or a wrong thing? To me, that's like, it's a soul thing. Do you want to, you want to have that experience? I, you're not harming anybody. Go have that experience, right? Every, every moment, every day is an opportunity to decide who am I, to decide who am, you know, um, and that, and that, if you are willing to open up and become more aware is a beautiful way to experience life. I, would never hurt someone simply because that's, I mean, physically, like, you know, like beat someone up or something like that, right? Because that's just not who I am. That's not who, I don't need the construct of something outside of me to tell me that's a commandment or that's a this or that. Sure. That's just, that's not who I am. And right and wrong, I don't, yeah, I'm not 100% sure of right and wrong really exactly either what you're, Exactly. See, and I'm a little bit different. Like, it's like, would I hit somebody? If I really sit with that, would I hit somebody? And my answer would be like, depending on the situation, if I came into my home and somebody's raping my daughter, you're, you yeah. can, you can yeah. make a very good bet. I am going to violently end that. Now that does, does that mean I will kill you or I'm going to let my anger uh, out on you, my suppressed anger? No, I, I have a very healthy relationship with my anger, but I will use that emotional anger, that desire to change, to stop another human being from being harmed. And in doing that, and in, in doing that, by leveraging my full power to end that, I'm helping that other person remember who the fuck they are, which is like, yo, you're better than this. What need do you have that's not getting met? And it's not going to be met this way, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So again, this is why I say like, this is the contrast. There is not going to be a black and white answer to be like, well, this is right or this is wrong. It really is going to come down to us learning to be the soul in control, which I believe every single human being at the root level is that the soul in control. And then what is it that we want to create as human beings? 
and we have the sovereignty to create that. But the only way that we have that sovereignty is to continually dive into those shadows a bit, because that's what allows us to be the light. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. That's where I land at. Hopefully that answered your question. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. <Yes. laughs> so with that being said, as we're just kind of landing this plane here, um, if you could go back in time and give your, your younger self some wisdom to help her collapse time and get results faster, what would you tell her? Hmm. Oh, that's a deep question. <laughs> um, let's see. What would I? Well, you know, I, I ultimately at the end of the day, even now, I'm in a very transitionary period in my life and just took a huge step and risk even this week in my own life. Um, and I guess what I would say is it's going to be okay. No matter what, you're going to be okay. If there's one thing I've learned about myself over my 52 years, and that would be I'm resilient. Like I, and, and it's a beautiful quality to have, but it's also something that you cultivate through your life. You make a decision on how you're going to respond to things. So I would say, because I can remember very clearly sitting in my parents' living room, very pregnant and wondering where am I going to be in 10 years? And so, so worried, obviously, financially and everything else. And it turned out okay. And my son, you know, in moments when, I mean, it could have gone anywhere. His life could have many times over, he could have died. He could have hurt someone else. He, you know, in those times that we don't know, know that no matter what, and, and I know this sounds so trite to say it's going to be okay. But if you like all is well with my soul, I, I, you know, I may hit some bumps. I may have some very turbulent times in my life, but there's, there's something so much greater going on in that. And, and there's so much, we're all interconnected. So while something may be, I may think something is about me in this moment, it's also about a lot of other people and the way it plays out as well. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks for sharing. Mm-hmm. If people want to learn more about you. They want to work with you some capacity on around parenting. Where can they go? Where can they connect with you at? They can find me on my website, which is reallifeparentguide.com. I'm also on Facebook at Real Life Parent Guide and um, LinkedIn. I haven't really ventured into much other social media, but um, I do a lot on Facebook. So Real Life Parent Guide is who I am and where you can find me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, AJ. Appreciate the opportunity. Well, there you have it, my friend, Kim Minch in the house. That was an amazing episode. I mean, it really was. I feel like we got into some like really good meat in this game of parenting, and it's not a conversation many people are willing to have. So I really hope this conversation really serves you. I mean, the things that we talked about, the ground that we covered, it not only impacts how you parent, but the principles that we really uncovered, like they can be applied to just relationships in general. And beyond the family unit, these principles can be applied to just leading your team as well. It's an incredible conversation, incredible conversation. I really enjoyed it, and I hope you got some really good takeaways from it as well. And if you did, like, I would love to hear about it. Like, simply take a screenshot of you listening to this episode on your device, post it over to your Instagram stories, and tag me at AJ Amix over on Instagram. And uh, we'll keep the conversation rolling over there. So that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you so much for being here. Until next time, my friend, I'm out. Peace. 
That's all for this episode of the Anthony John Amex podcast. But we have plenty more to help you achieve a life of freedom, purpose, and success. Head on over to ajamix.com for exclusive resources, information, and tools to break through to new levels of peace, power, and profit. We look forward to having you back for the next episode of the Anthony John Amex podcast. Bye for now.